Welcome to the Racially Just Schools podcast. In this episode, I had the marvelous opportunity of speaking with Dr. Pedro Noguera. Dr. Noguera is the dean of the Rossier School of Education at the University of Southern California and is one of the most influential education researchers of our time. During our conversation, we discussed what he sees as some of the greatest opportunities in education right now, the importance of clarifying our values around equity and justice, and he also offers some insights and some suggestions for teachers, school board members, and families in this current moment. And he even tells who he would want to play him if there was a movie made about his life. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. You're listening to the Racially Just Schools podcast, the show that provides resources to help you and your team build racially just schools. Now, here's your host, Dr. Terrence L. Green. Welcome to the Racially Just Schools podcast. My name is Dr. Terrence L. Green. I'm your host and I am super excited that you're back here for another episode. I am super excited about today's episode because the guest we have today is someone who's absolutely amazing and who is legendary in the field of education. Uh, the one and only Dr. Pedro Noguera. Dr. Noguera, welcome to the to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Green. Great, great to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, to get started, I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of stuff, given everything that's going on um, in education. But my very first question uh, to really acclimate our listeners to our guests is that I would love for you to think about uh, where you are now professionally and almost like your life as a movie trailer. I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, who are the institutions? Who are the people? Who are the organizations that help you get to where you are now? Well, um, you know, throughout my career, I'm I'm currently the dean of the uh, School of Education at at USC uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, But throughout my career uh, in academia, I've always uh, maintained uh, one foot in the academy, one foot in the community. Um, and, And that's been important to me because in order to feel connected um, with the people I care about, I have to be have strong ties with the organizations and schools that serve um, the communities I care about. And so um, I continue to do that in Los Angeles and throughout the country. And uh, that's helped to keep me grounded, helped to keep my work relevant um, and, and connected to um, the, the, the people that matter to me. Well, you know, a new school year has just started. A lot is going on. Uh, from, you know, COVID-19, anti-critical race theory, uh, bills, DACA, Black Lives Matter. And I'm, I'm curious with everything going on, these are also opportunities. So from your perspective, what do you see as some of the greatest opportunities and leverage points in this moment for people who are working in schools to really do substantive and transformative equity work? You know, I, I think it's really important not to allow the uh, chaos of the moment we're in to um, either distract you or uh, or stress you out. Um, you, know, you think about the debates going on around the country over mask mandates, over vaccine mandates, over critical race theory. Um, it you know it just make your head spin after a while because it's very hard to stay focused on the issues that matter most. What still matters most, <laughs> more than anything, is preparing our kids for the future, making sure they get a solid education that will allow them to have control of their lives, to contribute to their families and their communities. 
we've got to stay committed to that work and be clear about what that work entails. It doesn't mean we can ignore these other issues. Um, we, we, we have to make sure schools are safe. We have to make sure the children are safe. We have to make sure we're teaching our kids about the history of race and racism in America. Um, but if you get too caught up in these political battles, you won't be able to do the work. So my advice, my recommendation um, to the educators and to the parents who are listening is to maintain clear priorities. And, and, and the priority, as I said, is about preparing our children for the future. Awesome. Awesome. You know, one of the things that I've, I've always admired is just your, your diversity of background, not only being a teacher, uh, a professor, but also you served as a school board member for four years in, in Berkeley, California. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, what's your thoughts around this? Because I've had some conversations with school board members who have started to make progress on their work around equity and racial justice. A lot of folks got a lot of strides in during the summer of 2020. But now with the current political climate that you just talked about, uh, a lot of folks are starting to reverse course. And so I guess what advice would you give specifically to school board members who are listening to stay focused and double down on the work of equity and that's most important? And how might they do that? So the school board members are going to be, they're in the hot seat right now because of this political climate, the polarization in the country. Um, there are no easy answers um, because as we know, uh, there's a lot of anger, uh, particularly on the right wing. Um, and some of those folks are dangerous. So I don't want to underestimate at all the threats that are out there. I do believe that if we are consistent about the values that we represent, values of fairness, justice, equal opportunity, and we put those forward, that hopefully people of goodwill, reasonable people will see the uh, importance of those values and connect with you. Uh, you're not going to connect with everybody. And there will be those who will um, see you as a threat and treat you as an enemy. Uh, and so if you're doing this work because you want to be loved, um, I would say get out of it now because there are going to be folks that are going to be your enemies. Um, uh, um, if you're willing to take the, the heat, um, then I would say stay clear about why you're in it. Try not to fuel the, um, the, the, the craziness out there. Uh, try not to, 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 uh, to, to participate in it. Um, but maintain your integrity. Um, maintain your clarity of your purpose uh, so that you can get through this period that we're in right now. I got a, a, one last question on this, similarly thinking about classroom teachers, right? So in spite of everything that we've talked about, uh, masks, no mask mandates, COVID, uh, the, the vitriol, the, the attacks on CRT, like teachers still have to show up in classrooms and teach. Right. And we know the importance of thinking of teaching critical thinking and problem solving. I guess my question to you is, what advice would you offer to classroom teachers who are now starting to feel, you know, deeply constrained and, and in some ways afraid to continue their orientations and dispositions to more critical forms of teaching? I guess what advice would you give them of how to navigate instructionally within this context? You know, I, I would say they have to be aware of the the, um, <clears throat> the community they're in and the politics of it. Um, you know, what's possible in a big city like L.A. or New York is not going to be possible in a um, rural community in the South, uh, for example. Um, <clears throat> you, you have to maintain 
close ties with your parents and the community so that they will have your back if you come under attack and, and pressure. Uh, there have already been cases of teachers who've been fired for teaching. Um, no, no one's teaching critical race theory, so let's be clear about that. But just teaching about the history of racism in America. Uh, there was a teacher in Tennessee who was fired not long ago for having his kids read um, the world Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. So I don't want to, again, be naive about this. Uh, the threats are real, um, and that's why you've got to be aware of your environment, um, and you got to build alliances and not allow yourself to be isolated. Yeah, totally want to echo that. I mean, I, I didn't learn about critical race theory until I was in a doctoral program in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and so I didn't get it out of any of my K-12 school, and I don't know of any districts that are teaching it. Um, you mentioned earlier about parents and families and community members and caregivers. And I'm interested in, you know, with all the contradictory information coming out and all the noise that's coming out from all around, I guess, what suggestions or advice would you give to family members and community members on a barometer to make informed decisions? Because you'll read one thing that contradicts exactly with the, the previous thing. And so how might family members and community members and caregivers make informed decisions about what's happening educationally, given all the conflicting information that's coming out? Well, first and foremost, they have to know their own children uh, and know what their needs are um, and, 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 and really do the work to try to understand how to address those needs. Um, because um, we want our kids to be in uh, schools where they're uh, supported, where they're safe, where they're challenged, stimulated, uh, and where they can experience um, growth and the joy of learning. Um, so the main thing is know your child and then know the school. Now, not everybody has the luxury of being able to choose the right school for their child because uh, those schools may not be available in their area. And that's why it's really important for parents to stay involved um, to the degree they can, to um, supplement what their children get at school at home to reinforce the right values, to really provide the encouragement. Um, parents are the first teacher. Um, and in many ways, parents are even much more important than the school the child attends because if the child is getting reinforcement at home and encouragement at home um, related to learning and related to uh, their identity and their values, then that child will be in a better position to receive a good education um, when they're in school. Um, but you have to be aware of what's happening at school because we don't want our kids to be in hostile environments where they're under threat either. Uh, so it's very important that you not just send your child to school, but you are aware of what's happening to them while they're in school, how they're being treated by peers and teachers, um, what are the values of that school they're in. Um, there are a lot of Black parents out there right now who are very skeptical of sending the kids back to school because uh, they've been in environments that have not been supported. Um, so it, it's very important to be aware. And, um, and, and that's the main recommendation I would make to the parents is don't simply trust the schools. Uh, they're not trustworthy always. And you've got to know whether or not the adults you're serving your children over to really care about them and will, will provide the support and encouragement they need. Gotcha. Gotcha. One of my last few questions before we come down to, to the end is, 
again, one of the things that I've, I've really appreciated about you and your work and the example that you, you, you set for so many scholars and researchers, you mentioned before, you've always had a foot in the community and kind of one in the academy. And I'm just curious, were there particular shifts or experiences where you, you know, decided to become like more of a public intellectual, where you're in schools all over the world, you're connected to what's happening locally in communities and abroad. I guess, what's the story behind that? And what advice would you give to younger scholars and researchers who are interested in making that type of an impact um, in community and engaging deeply with people in the public? Well, um, two things. One is is my own background. I, I was a, a pretty much much more of an activist before I became an academic. I was um, involved um, in my community first um, as a young person growing up in New York City and then in the Bay Area. Um, I worked, uh, <clears throat> while I was a grad student at Berkeley, I worked uh, as the chief of staff to the mayor of Berkeley. And I was so I was on the front lines dealing with a lot of the critical issues of the time, the uh, the um, so-called war on drugs, the uh, homeless issue as it was emerging. And I was frustrated by what the city was not doing to address the roots of these problems. So that led me back into education. And I started teaching at a local continuation school while I was finishing my PhD at Berkeley. And that experience of working with young people, the young, same young people who'd been kicked out of traditional schools and who were experiencing many of the hardships reminded me of why it was important for my scholarship to be connected to the communities I cared about. Um, and so, you know, I did something that's very rare in academia. As a brand new professor at Berkeley, I was still teaching high school. Um, I, I was teaching um, um, two units. Uh, two classes at the, that alternative school. I was also elected to the school board member as a brand new professor. One of my colleagues told me, you'll never get tenure if you serve on the school board as a new assistant professor. I did it anyway, and I did get tenure uh, because I was doing it out of service to my community. I was doing it to understand the policy issues. Um, and so that gave me some insights that I think many in academia don't have. Um, mm -hmm. If you allow the university to be the only place um, where you're doing your work, I think you limit yourself. Um, as, as I said, so much of what I've learned, I've learned from doing research and through my personal ties with the communities I've been in. And um, I, I continue to do that now, even as a dean and as a professor, uh, to stay connected to the, those communities, because if you don't, you run the risk of your work not being relevant. And, and this is the second issue. In academia, a lot of times, who's reading our work? Who's reading our articles? Who's, who's the audience we're trying to reach? Unless you do make an effort to connect, chances are it's only being read by a very small number of academics out there who share your interest. I think we have to be more ambitious than that. If we want to have an impact through our work, We've got to figure out how to reach broader audiences. And um, the way I've done that is, is by speaking in the community groups, the school uh, districts, to various audiences around the country, and by uh, working really as an ally in solidarity with those communities and, and doing research that would help those communities. So um, a lot of it is about how you position yourself and how you see and understand your role as an academic. Um, if you allow yourself, again, to just 
uh, uh, be isolated in the university, then you're going to suffer the consequences of that isolation, which often means stress. It means um, being scrutinized um, unfairly. And it can, I think, be a result in a career that's not nearly as rewarding as one that is connected. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing that, for sharing that. Um, well, well, to close, we always like to ask our guests a few uh, just rapid questions, a uh, little fun questions. So whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind, we'd love to hear it. And so uh, you ready for the rapid questions? I'm ready. All right. Um, if there was a full length film made about your life, and I can totally see this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who would you want to star as you and why? <laughs> that's funny well you know my favorite actor is Denzel but um you know I don't know who he'd get to play the young Pedro um I, I, what I love about Denzel and admire about him over his career is the the kind of authenticity he brings to his roles and you can see that he is rooted and connected and and has a clarity about who he is as a person and and you you know the little I know about his personal life. He grew up in Mount Vernon, not far from where I grew up in New York City. Um, he's a person that's that's really rooted and um, really been clear about how he represents himself. So I would I would say it would be someone like him. Gotcha. Nice, nice. The next question is: uh, If you could become an expert instantly in any one thing, what would that be, and why? Hmm. That's a that's a complicated question. I you know I often have aspired to um, doing more international work. I, earlier in my career, I did a lot of work in the Caribbean and Latin America. Um, in more recent years, I've done some work in South Africa, New Zealand. Um, I, I find that work really rewarding because it gives you a global perspective on the issues we deal with. And uh, and and that's helpful, I find, in my work. So I guess if there were another career, it would be something kind of like, uh, I don't know, international diplomacy, uh, uh, something like that, because um, the ability to speak multiple languages, um, because I, I think that Americans suffer from a myopia. We think the world is all here. And no, we live in a much bigger world. And the more exposure we have to other cultures, other languages, other people, um, the, the greater our ability is to understand the world as it is. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, you, you got one of the other questions was, which was, you know, if you weren't in education, a feel completely uh, different from education, what would it be? And that international diplomacy uh, is powerful. The last question is, you know, what constitutes, you know, your happy place? Like, what is it? that gets you in a, in a place of joy? Like what, what makes that a pool or what uh, constitutes that? Mm. These are good questions you're asking. Um, you know, I am, as I get older, more and more preoccupied with impact. How do I have an impact with the work I do? How do I um, affect change on the issues I care about? Um, you know, I'm uh, one of my hobbies is I, I'm a gardener, and uh, what I really enjoy about gardening and cooking—that's another one of my hobbies—is uh, you immediately see the results of your uh, your work. Well, gardening it takes uh, you know a few months to see your garden flourish, uh, but with cooking, you know, you, you people tell you right away if they liked it or not. Um, and uh, it's the the task of gardening and cooking that I enjoy. 
but it's also the rewards you get. I feel the same about uh, my academic work, you know, that I'm <clears throat> I'm interested in, in reaching people um, through my written work, through my uh, speaking, and helping to provide guidance and insights on what we can do to address the complex issues we face. Um, and so that's something I continue to aspire to, to continue to think about. How do I, you know, in the time I have left on this planet, how do I make sure that, um, you know, that my work um, does leave things better than they were uh, before I got here? Well, well, thank you so much. Before we go, I guess, where can people follow you on social media and learn more about your work and the things you're doing? So I am on, on Twitter, uh, Pedro A. Noguera, at Pedro A. Noguera, and also on Facebook, um, both a public and a personal page. Um, and then, you know, um, I continue to publish and do do podcasts like I'm doing today with you. Um, so, you know, I, I have a, a pretty um, uh, active uh presence in social media and elsewhere so um they could track me there gotcha well I, I definitely want to say thank you thank you thank you uh thank you for all that you do and continue to do and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join the podcast so so thank you so so very much thank you uh dr Wien, for inviting me thank you for the work you're doing awesome well thank you very much well, that is it, folks. Thank you so much for joining the Just Fools podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I am so excited and really looking forward to our time together during future podcasts. What I need you to do is to please hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, and please leave a review. Love reviews. And if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to www.raciallyjustschools.com. That is www.raciallyjustschools.com. When you join our community, I have a free video for you on three tips that will make your racial justice work better. And again, if you love the show, hit subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. And until next time, peace.